Just sit right back and you'll hear a tale, a tale of a fateful trip That started from this topic boy, the boy, this tiny ship The mate was a mighty sailor man, the skipper brave and sure Five passengers set sail that day for a three-hour tour A three-hour tour Welcome to episode 27 of the Camerosity Podcast, the world's fastest growing film photography podcast. I am your host, Mike Ekman, and with me tonight from Sydney, Australia, is our skipper, Mr. Theo Panagopoulos. Do you think we'll have a safe journey ahead of us on our trip, Theo? Oh, uh, no doubt, mate. There's absolutely nothing that can go wrong. Excellent. Also with us tonight from Gainesville, Florida, Professor Anthony Rue. Do you think we'll encounter any dangerous native tribes while touring our island? Oh, I think that we are just in for a splendid three-hour cruise. There's nothing possibly that could go wrong. A last-minute addition to our entourage is our friend Gilligan. Hey, Gilligan. Hey, everybody. And finally, the man financing this whole trip, our benefactor, Sir Paul Reibel III. How much is this whole adventure going to cost us, Paul? A tidy sum. As you might have guessed, the gang and I are on our way to what we hope will be a fascinating and relaxing three-hour tour onto a nondescript tropical island filled with all sorts of caricatures of real people. On our trip, we will have access to an unlimited amount of film, development chemicals, and a lab. So developing our film won't be any problem. But what kinds of cameras and other gear will we bring with us on our journey? All right. So we are going to be headed out on a trip here. And we've kind of been talking about this all week about Fantasy Island or Tropical Island getaway cameras. You know, what would you bring on a trip? But Mike, there's a problem. There's a problem. What's that? There's dark clouds. And then I see lightning and thunderstorms. Oh, no. <laughs> I asked Siri before we left how the weather was going to look, and she said it was going to be great. Uh, we're just going to have to divert a bit and head over to this island and just stop there for a while. All right. <laughs> That's a great idea. Does anybody have a volleyball? <laughs> All right. So, so seriously, I guess the question of what cameras you would bring depends on whether you knew if you were going to be stuck there or not uh, versus a, a trip that you anticipated coming back from, because I think that that affects my answers. <laughs> <laughs> when you know you're stranded on an island uh, without an option to get back easily, you would want something more rugged, maybe a camera that could also be used as a blunt object. So I'll just start right off and, and make my first pick the Argus C3. I think that's a, a great <laughs> tropical island camera because uh, they're hard to break. They're very, very durable. And in a pinch, they could help you fight off some kind of Aboriginal, I don't know, beast or something. Well, you could also, you could easily open a coconut with one. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Does everybody here have an Argus C3 in their collection? No. No. Oh, Aiden, you don't have an Argus C3? No. All right. Not Next yet. time I Not send yet. you something, I'll send you an Argus <laughs> C3. Everybody's got to have one. I have, I have never so much as held an Argus camera. You're kidding. Really? I've never held a single version all right i'll send you one too <laughs> how about you? you got an argus c3 yeah i've got i've got one here in sydney even okay all right so they, so they made it to, to australia no actually they didn't i'll correct you there they didn't they never sold them here in australia i actually um a few made it their way here but um they were never actually released in australia we um, in terms of argus we got things like the argus 75 and those those top cameras okay so probably in the 50s maybe is when it started to make its way that way yeah. Anthony, that goes to prove how detached Florida might be from the rest of the United States, because Absolutely. in the Midwest, I mean, I've gone to garage sales and I just see Argus is there. Like I, I was at one a couple of years ago where I saw 
a camera and you know the Everetti case and I'm like okay let's see what's in there I open them I go it's just an Argus and at that moment the guy running the garage sale saw me pick it up and he, he could tell that I knew what it was because I fired the shutter a couple of times. He's like, oh, you a camera guy? And I'm like, yeah, you know, I like cameras, you know, but I mean, I got I got like a dozen of these at home. He goes, well, do you want this one? And I'm like, you know, it's, it's kind of hard to like, like be nice and tell people I don't want your smelly old Argus camera. And he's like, I'd give it to you, but I'm not allowed to. Would you give me a dollar for it? And at that moment, I noticed right next to it was a Weston meter, uh, Weston meter two that seemed to be responding to light. I'm like, well, throw that in and I'll pay you a dollar. He goes, sold. So I, I've, I was forced or coerced into buying an Argus C3. That's, that's how easily they're found, I think, here in the Midwest. Although I guess maybe close proximity to Michigan where they were made might help with that. But, but Mike, if you're stuck on this island and you just, you might be stuck with that camera for a while. Is it a camera that you like to shoot? I do. I do like shooting the Argus's. I have shot mine a variety of times. I will add one little caveat to that is that they are infinitely better with the Sanmar wide angle lens, the 35 millimeter lens. Um, I like it because even without the, because the, the, the basic viewfinder on them is, is you know, only 50 millimeter. You need an auxiliary viewfinder to see the focal length. But at that point, it kind of becomes a shoot from the hip kind of camera. You know, your, your, your coverage is larger than what the viewfinder will show you. So in, in essence, I just use the range finder to get my distance right. And I just kind of shoot it at something I'm going to approximate. Um, obviously, my framing isn't going to be too tight on something like that. But the, the Sanmar lens on those are actually really nice. They're German made, I think Anna work made them. Uh, so optically you're gonna get great images with the wide angle, you get tons of depth of uh, field. I don't mind the, the poor ergonomics of them. You know, they, they make a sound of like taking a metal fork and kind of snapping it in half. It's like what the shutter sounds like <laughs> when it fires. I mean, they're, they are absolutely inelegant cameras, but I, I don't know what it is. I find with all the cameras I've reviewed on my site, the cameras that are very typical, you know, your later SLRs, your, your, the massive number of Japanese F28 rangefinders you can find where the, you know, the, the Petris and the Terrans, you know, there's just so many of them that the user experience is exactly the same. You can't even find something to say different about it. You know, the, the Argus is different and I actually like that, it, but it's, but I don't think it's hard though either. You know, I just finished a role in a Tessina. And that's a super cool camera, but it's it's terrifying to use because it's so small. Uh, you know, you're spinning these insy bitsy little dials to make sure you get your focus right. I mean, it's technically a TLR, but you know, looking at uh, a viewfinder that's about the size of your thumbnail to actually compose through is is nerve wracking. And and it's a cool camera, but it's not enjoyable. Whereas I, I find the Argus is to be pleasurable. So if I was stuck for many years on a desert island. I'm not saying I would love shooting it every time, but I wouldn't mind. And I think that with the durability of them, uh, the dual purpose nature of them would, would be my first pick. We're, we're allowed to choose three, right? Or do we say right, yeah, it's three? It's three. Okay. So I'll, I, I started off. I'll leave it up to one of you guys to, to move on to your next one. Skipper. Okay. I um assuming that, you know, this is a short trip. Um, and I wanted to get some quality photos. I would take the Mamiya 7. The reason for that is beautiful six by seven negatives, um, fantastic to hold, portable, um, medium format, you know, shooting without a tripod. And I would bring the 35 millimeter pano kit as well. So versatility from that point of view. So my first aim from a quality point of view would be 
bringing in the member year seven and, and really just trying to capture every single detail of this island uh, in, you know, in great high resolution. I did think about bringing a four by five, but uh, I started to then start to think, okay, do I really want to take a tripod? Do, do I really want to be handling that? <laughs> no, the tripod could be handy. You know, when as Mike's fighting off the, the beasts and so on with his Argus, I can actually swing a tripod and maybe do that. But uh, I decided against that in the end. You know, the whole idea of the, the desert island disc is that you're, 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 you're like, you're stranded. It's not a, it's not a holiday. You're, you're stuck on this island. Uh, these are the things that like bring you pleasure. And I think back to friend of the show, Bernard, a collector and a, a person who has a deep history uh, in the art world. And he would tell me that he would, he would go to his collection. He would find a camera that just, you know, really spoke to him and just put it on his desk, almost like a piece of sculpture where you could admire the aesthetics of the camera uh, as much as, as shooting it. And with, with that in mind, my, my first pick is, is the uh, uh, Olympus pen F. Uh, which I think is just uh, just an amazing camera. It's just a joy to hold. It's fun to shoot. Um, take the I take the F over the FT. It's nice having the meter, but the the finder is brighter in the F than the FT. Uh, so I, I take the F. Plus, you're stuck on an island. Seventy two shots per roll. That's kind of a benefit. Sure, some economy would be nice there too. Yeah, but but mostly it's just it's beautiful to hold. I mean, it's just such a a, a delightful camera. And as far as the the design is like high modernism and it's sleek and it's uh it's small and it's just it's a it's just a camera that that i just want to hold so we've mentioned uh three or four cameras but we we said we could bring whatever accessories so would you bring any adapters and other lenses for that pad you know the the 1.4 the 100 and maybe the uh the the telephoto which i think's a 200 uh would cover all the ranges that i need uh, those lenses are fantastic. You know, the lenses, yeah, they they're, they're they really super are. high resolution. And, uh, you know, I just, I don't think I would need more than that one kit. I know that for non-tropical island participants, those with the uh, micro four thirds digital system, they really like the pen lenses because their, their coverage area is similar, not exactly the same, but pretty close to what yeah. micro four thirds are. So there's very little crop ratio and you, you can get you could maximize the the resolution. I've never shot them on those, but I've heard that from other people that the pen lenses are great for adapting. Oh, that's interesting because I've just got an FT, so I might have to with a few lenses. Yeah. So I might have to adapt those to the micro four thirds. So what what was your um, kind of knee jerk reaction to the FT when you got it? The black one we talked about in the last episode. Oh, look, it's a lovely camera. I, I picked it up straight away and and thought, oh, I really like this. This is nice and small. The lenses are small, yet it's fully functional. You can get to all the dials. Uh, it just seems like a really beautiful little camera. Yeah, I like them. Um, the pens have a unique shutter sound too because it's actually a rotary shutter, yeah. similar similar to the robot. It spins. It's, it's interesting. Over on, on Casual Photophile, James just published an article where he said that it had been his quest to come up with the SLR equivalent of an M3. And after going through a list of like the usual sort of luxury cameras that you would expect, he actually settled on the uh, Pen F as being the camera that he felt most embodied the the attributes of an M3 and an SLR. Uh, Maitani, the the guy who designed both the Pen F and the original Pen, was a huge Leica fan. Yeah, uh, I've written about him a little bit on my site, and he shot a Leica three in the forties and fifties and was, was a huge fan of it, but um, he was in charge. He had hired 
for Olympus when he was a young man. And it was, it was similar to the story Steve Sasson told us recently about how he started working at Kodak and was just this young guy who kind of get put on a project and uh, you know, just, you do something kid, you know, go figure out what you want to do. And that's kind of how my Tani was at, at Olympus. He was given very little resources. Uh, nobody really paid much attention to him. So he was kind of able to just sort of picking the brains of people in the company using parts. And he came up with the Olympus pen the original one. And uh, by the time he showed it to the executives, you know, they thought like it was an impossible task that he was able to make such a good camera with so little of a budget. Um, obviously the big difference is they put it into production immediately, whereas Steve's creation really didn't get created. But uh, yeah, the, the pens are, are very cool. And there is, I don't know if this was James's intention, but linking the pen F to the Leica M3 there is a little bit of like a DNA, I think, in those cameras. All right, Gilligan, Mr. Aiden Dean, for anybody, he's a, he was on our last episode. Uh, you're going on our trip with us, so what are you going to bring? Probably an Icon F2. I think it's pretty robust, but also I just like the, the massive finder on it. Yeah, and you can take it off, so you can take some nice waist little shots. Yeah. Maybe a 1.2 lens, use it to start some fires if you need to. There you go. Dessert I never <laughs> thought of that. Yeah, you could take the lens off and magnify, get some, get some kindling, and start some fires with it. There you go. See, look That's at this. Brilliant idea. Brilliant idea. Excellent. So Theo, you went with a panoramic and a six by seven camera. My Argus can be a blunt object and a camera. And uh, Aiden is coming up with ways to start fires with his lenses. So. <laughs> well, probably a, a little one. bit of a pyromaniac, but uh, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> All right, Paul, you're up. I mean. Well, uh, Sir Paul, yeah, I took my, I went my my choices were all historical based because I, I was trying to figure out, a, you know, the way I looked at this was the question was, if I were going to be stuck on a desert island, which three cameras would I like to have? And it turns out they were all three cameras that I used back when I was a, a lad. Uh, and the first one was the Nikon FTN. But it wasn't actually the FTN. The first one I had was the Photomic with a little flag that flipped up to uh, for the light meter. It was a non-TTL meter. And the lens I had on it was this lens, 58 millimeter 1.4, which was their first high-speed lens for the F mount. Um, and I used the, I, I rarely, I, I got my first one in 1978. No, 1968. Uh, and I rarely had, less than two since then i've never been without one at least one since 1968 i've had a, a number of them this one i've had for a few years and you can see i could i covered replace the covering uh with gray leather just because i could I, I i bonded with this camera i never really bonded with the f2 even though there were some advantages to the f2 uh, mainly that if you were trying to work quick and you needed to change film with these cameras, the problem was you had to figure out what you were going to do with the back while you were putting film in the camera. And the hinged back on right. the F2 made a big yeah. difference. Yeah. Um, if you were shooting sports or anything that required um, you to do it quickly, you were going to be better off. So that's my first choice. Did you ever used to put a motor drive onto that? I, I did have motor drives on them um, many times. And the motor drives were actually easier to change film because the motor had a, a, a strap lug on the motor itself. So you, you didn't have to lay it down. You could actually put it over your shoulder or something like that when you were uh, 
changing film. So it was actually easier to change film on the F36 motor than it was on the, uh, the camera without the motor. Do you have to have the back removed from it to attach the motor? Does it replace yes. the back? Yeah. Okay. Yes. So it replaces yeah. the entire back. It does. Yeah. Just like the camera does. Okay. The, the, this camera, the whole back comes completely off. Right. Whereas with the F2, it's a hinged back. Right. My favorite, it's, I mean, there's a lot of like on the paper advantages to the F2 over the original F, uh, but my favorite, and it's minor, but it makes a difference for me, is the forward location of the shutter release on the F2. Whereas mm. the F, the shutter release is in the back, closer to the back of the camera, just like the, the Nikon rangefinders are. And I don't know why, but just something about that difference. Just, I really like the, the feel. I feel the, the F2 feels more fluid in my emotions, being able to fire the shutter wind, fire the shutter wind. And it's just, it's preference. I mean, you've, you've probably shot more images on a, on a Nikon F than I've every camera combined, but I just, I really like that little touch there. Well, no, see, that's a good point. The, the thing is I've shot more, I have shot fewer pictures of the F2 than I have with any of the other cameras. The F3, I probably have taken more pictures with the F3 than I have any of the other cameras. And the F3 does have the forward shutter button and also the very, very smooth film advance uh, mechanism. I mean, it's just a joy to, I mean, that, that probably is one of my favorite of all time cameras is the F3. Yeah, the F3 is fantastic for sure. I just had one of my uh, former bakers sold me her uh, black Nikon F with the, uh, the FTN binder and had it re- it's completely overhauled up, up a pro camera up in Charlottesville and the thing's like butter now. It's just a beautiful camera to shoot. It's fun to shoot. I'm even more thrilled in that one of the uh, uh, local uh, photo uh, instructors here in Gainesville just gifted me uh, another F1 that had the black uh, prism finder. Uh, so I'm going to be swapping out the, uh, uh, the the meter for the the prism. And I think that's really going to be my, my dream Nikon F camera. Now, I never have had a real use to lock up a mirror for like the reason mirror lockups exist, but doesn't the Nikon F have a really goofy method for locking up the mirror? You have to lock it after each exposure? No, once you lock it, it stays locked up. The, the Nikon F, if you fire the shutter and lock the mirror, the mirror is not actually locked until after you fire the shutter. So you, no. UNS, that's no. not true? No, the mirror locks up. When you, when you take the mirror lock up button, and you turn the, the the switch, it takes the mirror into the up position. Does it really? And it, yes. Then, I, then it I'm stays. thinking of something else. Oh, then. no. Oh, no. I'm sorry. I'm misunderstanding you. You're right. You have okay. to fire the shutter once. Right. Oh, there you go. Okay. That's go what I was, okay. That's, yes. Yes. That's unique to that camera. And I don't know. There's a reason for it. Bob Rodoloni would be able to tell us, but they, yeah. they changed that on the F2 where so so if you want to lock the mirror, you, you can't do it until the next shot. That's correct. Right. The, uh, there, there is, it doesn't mechanically, Yeah. it doesn't mechanically take the mirror up. It keeps the mirror up. Right. Exactly. Yes. That's yeah. True. It keeps it from returning. Right. So on the F2, they changed that. Yeah. Because yes. on, on like we've talked before the EL2 and the ELs are the goofy ones where the battery is in the mirror box right. under the mirror and you have to use the mirror lockup to lift the mirror but the lever is the, it does the act of physically raising it. So yes. that's how most SLR. So it's probably a very minor issue, but if for whatever reason you were a person that really wanted to use a mirror lockup, there is a special 
step with the the original Nikon F for it. Ginger, what's your what's your second camera? We don't have. Oh, I'm Ginger. That's right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I was thinking I probably should pick a um a medium format camera, but whenever I take trips like with the family, I, you know, space is always a premium. Like I can't afford to bring you know like a like a Mamiya c-series tlr you know or something huge so i was thinking what kind of folding cameras do i really enjoy shooting make great shots and i was thinking kind of along the lines you were anthony about economy so i thought what's a good economical medium format folding camera and we've all been talking about Folklander so much more so uh, i'm gonna go with the perkio 2 i really really like that camera for it being a six by six camera i have a picture of it on my site side by side with a Vito, which is smaller, but then I have with a, an Ansco Speedx six by six camera. And the Perkio is like right in the middle. Like it's larger than the Vito, but not by a lot, but it's quite a bit smaller than the Speedx. Yet it's still a six by six camera. So they're very portable, very well built. Uh, and the economic part of it is you can get 13 exposures um, on a normal roll of 120. So you get kind of a bonus frame because the, the frame sp spacing is so tight on those. Um, and I, I really, really like that camera. So I wanted to pick one that wouldn't necessarily have to serve dual purpose, but I enjoyed using, got me some large negatives and I'd get a bonus shot off. Plus if we're on the trip together, Anthony, you could borrow it. I, you know, it, it was definitely a shortlisted camera for me. It is absolutely one of my favorite cameras. Yeah. I've, I've you know, I, the last time I traveled to the Philippines, I used it in, in just like wandering around downtown Manila and it doesn't feel like you're shooting a medium format camera and yet the results on it, the, 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 yeah. the that, that iteration of color scope are, I think on that format, on that, on that particular camera, it's just magical. I mean, I, I would put that up against, you know, any other lens for six by six. Yeah. I think the scope bars work well on medium format. You know, I know they did make more powerful lenses, more illustrious, you know, Septons and Ultrons, but the lack of those lenses available on that camera by, by no means is a con. I mean, it, it makes really, really, really nice shots. It's, it's just, it's just, it's a pleasure to shoot. Now there's the Perkio 2 and the Perkio 1. I think the only difference is the exposure counter. I think right. the first one doesn't have that. Okay. But if, yeah, if I had, I've got the one and I love it as one. well. So. Yeah. I loaned mine to Alyssa and she, she didn't really like it too much, but I think like she was a little intimidated by it, but I think once you kind of get over that hump, you know, and start using it, it's, it's, it's probably the best six by six folding camera I've ever used. You know, and there's a lot of them, you know, there's a lot of really good six by six. It's just some of the larger ones. Like I, uh, I reviewed the Fujika super 66 i think kurt ingham loaned it to me and i got great shots you know really really cool camera but it's so huge you know the kmz iskra is is a really really big you know but it's heavy you know it's 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 massive for you know shooting just six by six images whereas the perkio i mean i don't think you could physically shrink it anymore and still get that that size negative the 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 the, the, the is is almost exactly a third the size of the super iconta six by six yeah. Yeah. I believe it. And wait, absolutely wait. All right. Skipper, you're next. Okay. Um, being the skipper of the, the boat, I kind of knew what the maintenance schedule and the lack of it kind of was <laughs> on this boat. So half ex expecting at this time. So I did think about Bella's camera. Actually the Pearl two almost made it onto my list because for the same reasons that you've just described for the, for the per cow. It's, it's small and light and really good to use. But in the end, I settled for my second camera, um, the Nikon FM2. 
Uh, it's just a camera that works. It's a small SLR, good range of lenses. I'd probably put a 51.4 on it, to be honest. Um, and then I'd probably take an 85. And uh, I'd probably go all the way to the wide with a 20 uh, millimeter um, f4, which is tiny little lens there too. So and it, it's just a camera that you can throw anything at it, um, just keeps working. Um, there's not much that can go wrong. The meter, if the meter goes, it goes. But it's a very simple meter, just tells you, you know, whether you're close or not. And uh, and I've I've travelled with that camera before. It's just a pleasure to use. It's nice and easy. Skipper, that's not settling. <laughs> it's not really settling, no. But um, it's uh, it it's it is one of my favourite cameras to use. Um, yeah. I almost did think of the F3 as well because I love using the the F3, but I'm just a bit worried about the LCD, knowing that we're going to get stranded. I have a history with that camera. I, I, I might've mentioned this before, but when I was a sophomore at Indiana university, taking my very first photography class, I had to buy an SLR and called up uh, B and H and they had just received their first shipments of FM twos. And so I bought one of the very first FM twos to sell through B and H that had the uh, E series 51.8. And that camera has been around the world so many times with me. Um, I mean, I still own, I still shoot that camera to this day. Uh, it's been serviced, uh, once in the mid nineties and it has worked in, uh, you know, upper Quebec in the middle of February when it was like 30 degrees below zero. And it's worked in Colombia in the rainforest when it was, uh, you know, hundred percent humidity and 105 degrees outside. And, uh, that camera, it just, it's like the uh, Toyota pickup truck that you always see like in in Africa, uh, you know, in the most remote regions, it just keeps on working. And uh, I just, I, I really have a, an emotional attachment to that camera. Well, the FM2 is the one Steve McCurry shot the Afghan girl with. I mean, that's, that's the great. FM2 was the backup for most pro photographers back then. And I mean, even calling it a backup probably isn't fair because I'm sure a lot of those guys used it in instances where maybe a slightly more compact camera might be more desirable. But yeah, I mean, you, you could do a lot worse than an FM2. That's a great choice. And honestly, it's it's it would be hard for me not to pick that. But my third choice when it comes to my turn again is very similar for the same reasons you brought up. Well, on that, we'll, we'll pass on to Anthony. What, what character is Anthony again? Oh, I, I'm the professor. and The professor. And, 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 you know, I'm a professor of art history. So I'm going to continue on this mode. And that my, my second pick is uh, it's another sort of high design camera this time by Walter Dorwin Teague and it's the Kodak Metalist 2. I'm glad you didn't say it was the Bantam special. No, 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 no. It's the <laughs> Metalist 2, which is just one of these cameras that it is both a sculpture and a camera. And, you know, having, you know, I live in the swamp and I'm surrounded by alligators. And if I have to protect myself, I want a Metalist in my hand because um, it's, uh, it, you know, it's what you need to, 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 to knock them in the head and get away. But mostly it's that lens uh, for a six by nine camera. This is my medium format choice. Uh, I figured that, you know, you're stuck on an Island. You don't really, you know, you don't really want to go hiking with a metalist. Uh, but if you're like stuck in one place to be able to use that Ektar lens, which I think is probably my favorite medium format lens of all times, that camera though, I mean, it's, it's quirky. Uh, you know, I'd have lots of time on my own to, you know, go back to the manual to make sure that I'm loading it correctly. And, 
have done all the things in the right sequence to not break it. But Anthony, doesn't that use 620? <laughs> what are you going to do? It's so trivial to rewind 620. You know, that, that, yeah. that, that, the argument that you have to have them modified in some way yeah. or, or that, that it's somehow uh, a chore. I mean, if you can load a Patterson reel, you can rewind onto a 620. Yep. Yeah, I agree 100%. I, I had to say that in my whiny voice because I hear it so often, like, and not even to the to the metalist, but other 620 cameras, um, you know, it, it's so trivial. I mean, as long as you have the spools and I get it, someone who's never shot one before, who maybe doesn't have the spools, you know, obviously to have, you have to get them first. But once you have a couple 620 spools, I, honest to God, it takes 90 seconds to do. And once you get used to doing it enough times, I mean, didn't you say once before, Anthony, that you'll just kind of sit down and do like 10 at a time or something yeah, like absolutely. that? Absolutely. Yeah. I'll just, I'll yeah. do like a, and, and the other thing is, is that, it, you know, it uses the uh, Kodak, I believe it's series seven uh, filter attachment. And there are yeah, I think so, so. so many cool accessories for that. Like I, I have, uh, you know, the, like the dark uh, A26 uh, red filter for shooting infrared. Uh, I've got a polarizer. I've got, you know, all like, you know, all these different styles of hoods. It's a very customizable experience, which on some of these older, older uh, six by nine cameras uh, and medium format cameras, it can be a chore to get uh, filters that are a diverse set of filters or else they're going to be just like very precious. Like, you know, to this day, I've never been able to um, afford Bay 2 filters for my Rolleiflex. Uh, they just don't show up for one. And when they do, they're prohibitively expensive, but you, you, you can find the uh, series seven filters for, for pennies and uh, it makes it a very uh, sort of expandable camera uh, and that you have incredible range of options for shooting with it. It's not common, but they made a sheet film back for that camera too, with the ground glass and everything. I mean, you could yeah. shoot six or four by five on the, the metalists and you know, back to the complaint about, but it's a 620 camera. If if there ever was a camera that should inspire anybody to at least want to try it, that's it. And I'm really glad you picked that, Anthony, since we're going on the trip together. That means you let me borrow it. Absolutely. <laughs> Have you ever shot one, Theo? No, I haven't. Actually, I've never even held one. They don't come um, around down here very often. I imagine shipping a, a medalist to Australia would be quite <laughs> pricey too. Yeah. Yeah. I've always been a bit worried thinking of, buying one because they've got such a reputation of being a really finicky camera as well you would have thought that one or two would have fallen off of like an aircraft carrier back in the 40s when they were like <laughs> import the one thing that is kind of a poor feature of the original map so there's a medalist one and the medalist two they're very similar cameras uh the medalist one usually has the black anodized barrel but they don't always i know anthony you have one that does not but the surefire way to spot the difference without just reading what it says on top, is the presence of the fine focus wheel. There's a fine focus wheel on the front of the Metalist ones, where on the two, there's a flash sink port, right? Um, it's very, very minor, but the Metalist one is also the only one with a self-timer. The Metalist two does not have a self-timer. And we all know the potential pitfalls of a mechanical self-timer on a leaf shutter camera is they, they can very easily cause the shutter to jam and not work. So uh, the metalist ones, I think, have a higher propensity to fail because of the presence of the self-timer. But also around the shutter release, there's a little lever that is supposed to be for timed exposures. And correct me if I'm wrong, is that lever there on the metalist too, or it's just reworked? I think it's reworked, yeah, because it's, yeah. it's also, yeah. So the way it works is you have to make sure when you press the shutter release 
the button comes back 100% or else that won't release some kind of interlock. And, you know, once cameras get old, they get gummed up, they get dirty, those interlocks start to stick. So the metalist ones, and that's what I have. I've shot mine many times. It works fine. I, you know, I'm not trying to say that because it's a metalist one, it's not going to work, but there are more pitfalls to the ones that could cause them to jam up than the twos are. So I think Theo, if you were going to take a chance on one, uh, a metalist two, I think marginally would be a better bet in terms of finding one that's going to work properly. And, and my metalist two is, is, is considerably older. It's, it's or more recent. It's like a 56, I believe. No. Uh, versus it's one of the last, it's like the, the last year they made the metalist two. Wasn't there something else about the metalist where you could, it, the lens had to be focused out, the helical had to be out? To right. infinity to a certain range, or you yeah. can jam up the camera. Yeah, it has to be. You, you have to take it to infinity, or it won't fire. Right, that's true. Okay, begin. There's a depth of field scale on the top of them. When you start to see it move, that's when you know you can fire the shutter. Okay. So that's... when you collapse the shutter, because it's it's collapsible. So right. when you screw the helix, the lens retracts into the body. You have to extend it to a certain point where we're reach. Where Anthony's saying it reaches infinity. At that point, the, the shutter release is unlocked and you'll also start to see the depth of field scale start to spin. Uh, and then you can keep extending it to go to minimum focus. Oh, I think that the skipper has been taken by the cannibals. Yeah, the skipper. Yeah, we're having some communication problems. I, I think they may be, uh, maybe they're getting heavy rain in, uh, in Australia and he's, uh, he's headed for the tiki, tiki bar. <laughs> Paul, have you ever shot a medalist? I have, yes, but, but it's been a long time. Uh, mid seventies. Yeah. And I had uh, Ken Ruth at bald mountain converted it to one twenty. It was, a, I think it was a two. I, I, at that time of my life, I was really into medium format rangefinders, but for some reason I, I, well, it brings me to my second choice, Mamiya universal or super 23. I got my Very first nice. one in 1969 and uh, it was my camera for of choice for any medium format stuff. I, I, I use this more than I did anything else. At the time, I also had Bronica and I shot some with the Hasselblad, but this was my camera because I love the six by nine format. And this particular, this camera has a 50 millimeter lens on it. So you put a 50 millimeter lens and a six by nine rollback. That's wide. It's wide and yeah. uh, it covers it quite nicely. That lens I just got uh, from my friend's estate, but he didn't have the finder. But I found that I had a Canva wide finder on the shelf and I've got a, I have a ground glass back and hood for it as well. So as the next time I have a chance, I'm going to take it outside and just see how the Canva wide finder actually corresponds to six by nine back. So for people not able to see it, it's a, like a, a waist level uh, viewfinder pointed down at a 45 degree angle onto a piece of ground glass. Yes. Is that how you yeah. describe it's, it? It's, it's a ground glass with a finder on it. It's basically what the... it's waist level though. But now you look down into it. Yes. You look down yeah, okay. into it. Yep. That's cool. That's yeah. Cool. Uh, and it takes a three and a two and a quarter by three and a quarter uh, sheet film. If you want to, the nice thing about the Mamiya super 23 is it has, it's the simplest camera that you can get. That isn't a view camera. I mean, it has nothing but a leaf shutter. It has no interlocks. It's real easy to do double exposures with. And these, this particular one has a bellows back. So you can loosen four set screws and pull out the back. And it gives you about uh, 50 millimeters of extension. 
So if you're using the ground glass back, if you're doing for commercial stuff, I used to shoot golf club heads uh, with this camera. I would uh, just wow. set it up, pull it out. So you're achieving macro using the back though, rather than- Yes, use the ground glass That's back neat. for parallax cool. problems. Yeah. yeah. So it was just an extremely versatile camera. When, when were those made? Uh, well, the first one, probably first version was the Mia Universal, and that would be early 60s. And they're, I think they're completely interchangeable as far as the components, the lenses, the, the ones I started using, the first one I got was in 1969, as I said, and uh, it was the silver version. They made the Universal and the Super 23, and they were, they were somewhat similar, but Super 23 had a few more features. I, I've got the Super 23. Absolutely love it. Fantastic camera. I wrote a review on it because and it's it's very popular because it's uh, a lot of people seem to be very interested. I've got the ground glass as well and, and so on. Um, I think they're absolutely fantastic in terms of what they do. Do you have the six, six by seven and six by nine backs or just? I've got the six by nine. I might have the six by seven somewhere as well. What I find with them though is they can be a brutal camera because nothing's actually linked together. So you forget to do one step. Um, I've shot a whole roll with the dark slide in, mm -hmm. uh, things like that, uh, or shot without pulling out the lens because to make the lenses compact for people listening is they, um, some of the lenses sort of fold in on themselves. So when you actually want to use them, you have to actually extend them out. And I've, I've actually shot without doing that as well. So that can be frustrating, but the result, oh my God, the results, the results are just amazing. They, are, they actually also made what they called a K back, which was a multi-format back. It would do 645, 6x6, 6x7, and 6x9, just by using uh, masks inside the finder or inside the back. But then you had to use the red windows on the back to advance the film. So it did slow you down a little bit, but okay. uh, it was a pretty versatile system. And it had like four sets of red windows? Yes. <laughs> Actually, just three. Uh, no, there were there were four. There were four. Six, four, six, forty-five, six, 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 seven, and six by nine. Wow. I, I love the, especially on the six by nine back, because the, the actual winder seems to be on the wrong side of the actual, where the film's actually been winding on the way that it's been engineered. Uh -huh. And it's just amazing to watch on how, how that actually pulls the film through. It, it is really cool. Now, is that the system that people are cannibalizing the lenses for the, uh, uh, the, the different kit cameras that people are making the, the, the 3d, 3D printed. printed cameras? Yeah. That's, that's the one that Nick Lyle, uh, Nick Lyle has, it's not the Dora Goodman camera though. I, I yeah. do think maybe, she does make a camera that'll take. She that does, yeah. but there's a, another person in England who's uh, 3D printing one that Nick has, and that's the lens, the 50 millimeter 6.3 is the lens they put on that camera. Probably means that it's going to be harder and harder to find a universal. Yeah, um, I thought about buying one of those actually, but then I realized I already got the camera <laughs> and the backs, <laughs> so I don't really need it. And you can actually use those backs from an RB, I think, and vice versa with the, with the adapter. Is it yeah, the there's adapter? An M, there is an M adapter that uh, M. Yeah, that you would use to use the RB67 backs. And, and they're fine. You know, the nice thing too about it is it's a rangefinder and it has the, the frame lines for uh, 90, 100, and 150 built into the camera. And then you would have optical finders for the 50, 65, and, and uh, 75. And the 250, the 250 uh, 
has the frame lines in the finder as well. Have you got the 65 millimeter finder? I don't. I've had I've had them, but I don't have the 65 at the moment. I, I've got the 65 millimeter finder, and it is an amazing experience looking through that thing. It's so big and bright, and it's just and they've actually built in where you can adjust the parallax as well. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's just gorgeous to look through. So, Aiden, what's uh, camera number two with you? He's Gilligan. <laughs> Probably gonna have to choose Hasselblad 500 CM. Uh, oh, Hasselblad, yes. All right. With a 82.8 on it, just so light. I mean, I have sneak peek out my third, but not even close to being as light as the Hasselblad. So probably the Hasselblad. And then I would bring my 100 millimeter lens with me as well, just because gotta have a couple of focal lengths. Now, did you recently pick up that Hasselblad, or is that one you've had for a while? I uh, I recently picked this one up about probably two months ago. Yeah. Is that the one that you also got the, the, the uh, ELM camera with? Yeah, I got the ELM. Sadly, it doesn't work. I got the ELM, and then I got a 50, 150, and I think another 80 at a garage sale. But that was, uh, that was probably a couple months ago, yeah. What draws you to the Hasselblad 500? Like, what would, like walk us through maybe the first time you picked it up to where you're at now. How does that camera speak to you? I just think, um, I mean, I have the, the prism finder for it which really helps. But I also think just the magic of looking down and just seeing, it's like looking in TV and just look out. I'm sure you guys know, but also yeah. just the compactness of it. I mean, I, I can have this around my neck and it fits in my hands easy. And it's not like, you know, going to give me back problems like the Pentax will, but um, yeah. just, I love the, the feeling of it, like advancing the film, uh, loading the back. That's just one of my favorite things about it is just, I guess, the feel to doing all those things. I just love the tactile tactile feeling of it i don't really um i don't love automatic cameras i have a minolta maxim and i just i can't stand it because it just does everything for you so i think just having the automatic kind of kills the vibe for me or kills the uh the fun of it so i, I like the i guess the mechanics of it yeah there's no wrong answer to that question i yeah. mean heck you're, you're coming with us that means we get to play with the hassle button now too. but <laughs> yeah. I, I like i like what you said though that looking into the viewfinder is like watching a tv and I've, I've commented on that before in certain reviews that it there's a certain difference about looking into a bright optical viewfinder. Mm -hmm. And, and I, I think that that's kind of lost today uh, with digital photography that you, you people don't like, they're kind of impressed the first time they see that. Yeah. A lot of my friends, whenever I take portraits of them, they're like, Oh, can I look through that? And I'm like, yeah, sure. And they're just blowing away. Yeah, they're like, they're getting wow, a thrill. so cool. And it's such old tech. Yeah. It's like technologically not impressive at all, yet people always yeah. seem to have the same reaction to it. Yeah, and they, they love it. I mean, they're like, oh, can I try that? I'm like, yeah, sure. But, yeah, you know, they just, can I can I get a uh, point and shoot from you? I'm like, yeah. But hopefully someday <laughs> they'll want a house of lad. All right. Good choice. Good choice. You know, there there was a, uh, a PBS documentary series called Icons about uh, rock and roll photography. Uh, one thing that I hadn't really thought about is, you know, the Hasse, the 500CM was like the rock and roll camera. I mean, of course, you've got like the Elvis Costello cover where he's like posing with the with the Hasselblad. But for the most part, it was the, the rock and roll camera because it was the exact dimension of a, of a album cover. So if you were shooting for an album cover or for an insert or for a back that, you know, the Hasse was was what you wanted to shoot with because it, it just it, you thought in that frame of mind of like what it would look like. Like when you look at the viewfinder, it's like you're looking at an album cover and it's like one after another photographers, photographers from that era talking about in the, in those terms about what a powerful tool that was for creating these like very iconic albums and, and rock and roll art. 
I thought that was kind of cool because I never thought about it in those terms. Yeah, I think a lot of people kind of shy away from uh, square format, which is kind of surprising to me. Is I think 12 frames is just the perfect amount for me, at least. I know that some people kind of shy away from it because it's not enough frames or just speaking to somebody your friends let's just say who maybe have never shot it before you mm-hmm. don't realize how convenient it could be to hold the camera above your head yeah over people you know do kind of a side shot sometimes too mm-hmm. i had uh i can't remember what camera it was but i was at a drive through window at like a local like greasy spoon you know euro cheeseburger place and i'm at the pay window and i can see straight through the window and there's the dude cutting the euro meat off the spit the lighting was just dingy but like fantastic that i looked at it i'm like wow that would make a great picture and i had a waist level finder camera next to me so i just put it on the steering wheel and i had the lens pointing out my window because i kind of feel creepy being at a drive-through restaurant with like a normal camera you know click 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 pointing it into the window but i just kind of put it on my steering wheel and i'm looking down into the waist little finder sideways but it's six by six so it really makes no difference how you hold that camera but um that's kind of another cool thing too that like a photographer is gonna be like well duh you know but when you've never done it before that's another kind of neat thing that i feel like works in favor of six by six mike a quick little side note about that the original robot cameras they would have a second viewport on the side and you would hold the camera like this to shoot it at a 90 degree angle. And I never could understand if people thought that that was somehow like, if you're doing this, if somehow that fooled people into thinking you were not taking a photo or if it was any less creepy, because if you're doing this, you might as well be doing this. I mean, it's just, it's, it's the most ridiculous looking thing in the world to be shooting your camera. Like, like, like maybe this. it was meant for going around a corner, you know, or something. You can kind of just stick it out <laughs> around a corner and just look real close and not get your head shot off. But yeah, that that's a really neat feature too. I have the robot junior and it doesn't have that side viewfinder, but I would always wanted to try that out, but that's, that's pretty neat too. So ginger, what's your third? So my third camera now we had, we, I had selected my cameras before we started talking. I did not realize we talk about Nikon so much, but I wanted it to be my F2 AS. Uh, this one is from Paul, you know, it has all the, the great things to speak about of the, the Nikon F2, but the AS is really just the prism. You take the AS prism off, which is a regular F2, but this one uses the AI auto indexing lenses. It also has an LED, a plus and a minus and a circle to measure your exposure. And unlike many of the earlier photonic prisms that, that rarely work, these usually hold up pretty well. You know, for one, the battery compartment's not in the prism, you know, that with the F2, the battery compartment of the camera powers the meter. So there's less likely to have batteries leak and destroy the prism. But since Aiden is bringing an, an F2 already and Theo's bringing an FM2, uh, I'm gonna throw you guys off for a loop and go with a Digicam. I'm going to bring a Sony a7 II, full frame, digital mirrorless. Uh, Currently on it, I have a Nikon uh, adapter and I have a Nikkor 20 millimeter F4. So, you know, everybody goes for like the Biogon 21 millimeter lenses and they're great. Uh, Nikon has a huge stable of wide angle lenses. This one you almost never hear about because it's so slow. It's an F4 lens. It admittedly when I've put this lens on a film SLR wide open, it's just dark, you know, I mean, you could use it. It makes pretty decent pictures, but having an F4 lens on a film SLR is sort of a con, but when you mount it on a digital camera, that just goes out the window because you have the EVF. 
Yeah, there you go. What's, what's the lens on there, Theo? That's the 20 f4. Is it really? Yeah, that's, that's what I've got on my FM2. That's too hilarious. Oh. Yeah, I have. <laughs> is it dark for you too? Or I mean, it's no, no, I, I find that quite good. Really? So I will be the, I will shoot some nice digital pictures and I'll, I'll make sure to bring as many adapters as I can find uh, to use as many other lenses as we can. And that way we can have some high resolution digital camera pictures. The classic 20 millimeter Nikkor was the 3.5 UD. Okay. That was the one that, uh, that that everyone wanted. The problem was it was huge. So when they came out with the 20F4, they made the lens a lot smaller. Yeah, it's pretty compact. Yeah, oh, it is very compact. And it's an excellent lens. If you guys look, this is the, on top is the 20F4. Below, that's the 51.8. I mean, they're, they're pretty damn close to the same. They do What's have the folder size on that, Mike? Do you remember? 50, it's the same. 52. Yeah, 52. Yeah, so the... the uh, the UD 23.5 was at least 62, and it might have been 67. I, I, honest to God, you know what? I'm going to grab a scale. I have one right here. When you review cameras, you have uh, postage scales. A lot it, it's, it, it's, a, it's a stick with two coconut halves hung down with uh, string. <laughs> yeah, we put true. pebbles on one side just to. <laughs> <laughs> so a 51.8 is 215 grams. If I mount the 20F4, 210 grams. So it's five grams lighter, 211. It's moving up now. It is, I mean, my God, if, if you didn't read the ring, it looks just like a 51.8, but it's a wide angle. Uh, it, it does flare. So I, I you know, I, I have noticed that if I get the sunlight or even a bright sky anywhere close to the front of the lens, I do notice my contrast goes down a bit, but I mean, come on, 20 millimeters. That's, that's, that's really impressive to see whether you're shooting film or digital. A friend of mine's a sports photographer, and he mentioned to me one day that what he's seen some of the other uh, photographers bring with them because they obviously want something wide sometimes, but they don't want to take an extra bulk, and they don't shoot wide very often because they're obviously using the, the big zooms a lot. A lot of them will actually just throw in one of those 20 F4s uh, in their bag if they're a Nikon user, and they will use those purely just for the, the one or two or three shots they might use them for because they, they work great on the digital cameras as well. So yeah. I'm really happy with the results of that lens on the Sony. Mm. It's really, really nice. Now, Paul, you said the 20 F35 UD. What does UD stand for? Is that the altered? I, I believe it's ultra dispersion. It's, it's just one of their lenses. I can't remember exactly what year it was, but it's the okay. one that uh, it, it's like the 10525 early sonar gauss lenses it's it's the one that everyone wants and likes but you know just because it's a classic rendering i think more than anything else it's it's not it isn't really the sharpness okay it's more the rendering of the lens i used to shoot a lot of racing and that was the lens i used for the pits because it would uh you know it was wide wide angle enough that you didn't have to look through it in order to to frame, you could just hold it over. Yeah, and the depth of field on them is, is insane. Oh, yeah. I saw the picture you had on Facebook a few days ago that you shot uh, of the, I think you shot a picture of the lens, not with right. the lens, but it was excellent. Yeah, it's really, really neat. I mean, I'm looking at the lens now, even at F8, you set it to five feet and everything yeah. from infinity to just under three feet is in focus. Yeah. Hyperfocal on it is amazing. Yeah. I and mean, that's at F8. I mean, and it stops down to F22. So F22, I don't even think they have, no, there are marks. Yeah. I mean, Nikon or Nippon Kugaku put marks on the lens for F22 
but you can't physically, oh, you can. Okay. I mean, we're talking from 0.3 meters or one foot to almost 10 feet. If you are at F22 focused to one and a half feet. I mean, it's just insane. So Skipper, you got a curveball for us. Uh, I, I do. One of the curveballs is the security was pretty lax. So I actually brought two more cameras on. So I actually brought four. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll tackle the third one first. We're going to be on a tropical island. Um, the storm will clear. The boat will be a mess. Um, so we obviously we can't use that. We stuck there. We'll have to do some fishing to, to, to get food and, and do all that kind of stuff. That means swimming, you know, bluish green waters, superb. The Canon Shore Shot AR A1. I thought you were going to bring a superb. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, the underwater. That, okay. Yeah. yeah. Because, I mean, this, this is fantastic. This is for when I want to take pictures and don't want to think about it. Fully automatic. The lens on this is actually really superb. I thought about bringing the Nikon, Nikonos. Um, as the as the underwater camera, but then decided no, I need something that I can just pull up and take pictures of. That actually still shoot. has functioning O rings, right? That's correct. Yeah, um, this one gets used every summer in the in the pool and at the beach. Um, yeah, so it gets used quite a bit, and it is just a great little camera to use. Yeah, just last week I published a review of the ASX, which is the predecessor to that one. Right. Okay. Okay. And and there it it does a really nice job. I mean, it works above and below water. It's is that one focus free too, or can you focus it? It's autofocus. Autofocus. Okay. Yeah. Because the the ASX is focus free, but I mean, it's it's going to get it almost anything you're going to shoot unless you're holding it like right up to something. But yes, this is um autofocus and i love how except when you go in the water because there's a little switch there and you switch it into into underwater mode there's a picture of fish there i think it then does something with the focus underwater to um to take take advantage of that it says um 0.45 to one meter or one one and a half to three and a 3.3 feet yeah i know on the as6 it tells you that the focus range has changed between whether you're above or below water yeah the way light bends is different down there but 32 millimeter lens nice and whitish so uh great little camera that's a good choice man i didn't think i didn't consider it underwater but it's a good one man we got a nice selection so far all right, who who's who's next after the skipper? I think it's uh the professor. Professor. If you're gonna put me up, well, I'll just let me back up and say I almost brought my Graflex super graphic uh because I figured if I'm stuck on an island, I'm gonna have all the time in the world and I would finally be able to figure out four by five. Uh, you know, I, I love shooting with that camera, it's a cool camera, sort of like a modernized version of a of a crown graphic. And uh, but it's big and it's heavy. And if you're going to put me on a boat and I'm going to be stuck on, a, on an island, I'm taking my Nekonos 5. There, there's no way I'm not going to be able to jump in the water and chase fish. You know, that, that, the Nekonos, I mean, if I could take a choice of lenses, I would take some of the wider lenses that I have for it. I think I've got down to a 15 for it or a 10. Maybe it's a 12. Uh, but that uh, the, the, the underwater 35. You know, uh, Robert's talked about the fact how that is just like the sweet spot 35 for the Nikon lenses and uh, the, the Nikonos, it's uh, it, it's a it's a very practical camera. It's, yeah. uh, uh, you know, it's aperture priority and uh, and it would be great because you could shoot it on the surface in the hurricane and it's going to keep the sand out. And uh, uh, but mostly uh, if I am near the water and it's clear. I'm jumping in and I'm taking a camera with me. 
uh you know i spent too many years underwater shooting uh that i could there's no way i'd be i'd go crazy if i was just looking out at the ocean and i didn't have a camera that could really it was a truly capable underwater camera and the nikonos 5 is is the camera i mean i've got a three i've got a two they're fun cameras but that five is a capable camera uh and the it, it, it all i always get results with that camera it's a lot easier to see it with a mask on too yes how confident are you on the o-rings on that one it's a much newer camera so i imagine they're oh okay. i've got i've got actually i've got all new o-rings for all my cameras uh I, although i need to send the two off for service because it's got one of the internal o-rings on the winder stem that is just got a minute leak but uh, uh the the five is completely all like completely kitted out and serviced the new now around the time they made the five didn't they also have an underwater slr oh it's beautiful it's the rs it's it's beautiful it was was a little bit later it came uh you know it was like again that was like the last iteration of cameras for for nikonos and it's i'd love to get one one of these days but they're pricey the lenses are, are really pricey paul have you ever handled one yeah yeah well i've sold a number of them they they were um I sold them actually for military use because they were going into environments that uh, were not conducive to taking a regular SLR camera into. And yeah, they're beautiful. They're beautiful cameras. Uh, very, the lenses on them are fantastic. Was it the F mount or do they have their own lenses? No, it's a, it's a, it's a proprietary. It's a, it's a mount okay. just for the RS. It has to have the O-rings on it. Yeah, that's what I figured. I just didn't know, like, do they make a yeah. whole other mount? But it sounds like they did. Very cool. You know, we should talk more about underwater cameras. Maybe if we could find somebody who... We're working on it. Working do, okay, on it. for a future episode. It'll be cool. But, uh, uh, but it's funny because, you know, I don't really think about our show as being a, a Nikon-oriented show. And yet I think every one of we us keep bringing them up. <laughs> I think every single one of us has picked a Nikon as one of the three cameras. Absolutely. Every one of us has, which kind of says something. Paul with the F, me and Aiden with the F2. Yeah. Theo with the FM2 and then Anthony with the, uh, the, the Nikonos. So yeah, you're right. Yeah. And this is not intentional. No. <laughs> All right. Our financier, right? No, let's go to Aiden. Oh, let's go to Aiden. Okay. Let's go to Killigan. Yeah. We're going to do a little order here. He's got something cool. That's why I want to see what it is. Oh, it's a six, uh, six seven. Pentax six seven. So Aiden definitely is going to have the largest luggage of any of us. <laughs> he he has not considered compactness at all. He he's bringing ballast. Yeah, yeah, ballast. There you go. Is that why the boat went off um, course? Yeah, the, the the weight of Aiden's bag. We are listing hard to port. Um, I uh, I just cast the uh, wooden grip in some epoxy. Or uh, in some silicon, and then I just made an epoxy mold out of it and put it on here. So it's clear right now. I need to make a new one, but I put some sprinkles in there just to experiment with it. But, um, and then I also have this right hand grip. I don't know. I got to create something, make it my own. It looks really cool. I, I like it. Thank you. You'll have to get us um, a good photo of it so we could include it in the show notes just so people can see. Because yeah, that, that's really neat. So tell us about it, though. Like, what do you like about that camera? Oh, man. It was, it wasn't my first medium format the uh, rb67 was but i just love the um i don't want to say the mobility because it's massive but it's not the you know it's not the mamiya 7 but i like to think it is um i just love carrying around with me and just having the weight with me and then taking the massive massive negative it just it just i just love it i haven't really shot with it recently just because i've been working on some other stuff but soon i will take it out again very cool very cool 
Yeah. Yeah. That's the camera I've never, you know, Anthony, if ever so much has held an Argus C3, I have not even touched a Pentax six, seven or any, any of their medium format stuff. I had a friend that handed me one and it was like, that's a little heavy for me. Yeah. And I handed it back. It's the only Pentax camera I've ever used. I mean, I, I've, that's the only Pentax camera I think I've ever owned. And I loved it. I mean, it made a great negative. I had one of the very early ones from early 70s. And it it wasn't well made. It had light leaks uh, in the back. And also, of course, it's a focal plane shutter. So you've got a, a tremendous mirror slap when it goes up. I mean, it scares horses for miles around when, uh, when it goes up and comes back down. But uh, the image quality on it was excellent. Really, really. Yeah, yeah. Uh... The guy that I got it from, he actually had two of them and he sold them both to me. But I mean, it's in mint condition. It came in the in the box and everything. It came with the um, the grips and the lenses and all of that for it. But I mean, I, there's not a scuff on it. It's incredible. Very nice. Theo, you were saying something there. I was just going to say, um, I believe the 105 2.4 lens is very sought after in, in that mm. camera. Yeah. Uh, have you, have you got that lens, Aiden? Yeah, it's the lens I've got on here right now. I mean, it's, it's a magnificent lens. It's incredible. I just, I love the way it, it's not too, too long or it's not, it's not too wide, but it's just the perfect length for me. I Very think. Nice. Yeah. I've yeah, also heard I, the 70 is great as well, or the 75 maybe, but um, I've never handled one of those. Yeah. I, I believe what I've read is the, the 105 has fantastic separation. Of, of the subject from the background is, is just magic to use. Anthony, don't you have a nickname for cameras that are mint and look like they've never been touched before? Yeah, I say that they, they came straight off of the uh, the, the, the TARDIS. The, uh, the TARDIS, there you go. Yeah, the <laughs> Time Doctor travel Who, cameras. Yep, yeah, went back, picked it up off the shelf, brought it up, dropped it in your lap. You know, assuming we get back from this three-hour tour, a future episode, we should have, a, a if we had a time machine, what cameras or what would we go buy or what would we, we accumulate or something like that for that could be another fun episode so so aiden has filled the ballast with a bunch of heavy cameras yeah paul's got let's see what paul can get us back got. to uh stern leica m6 the m6 classic uh, that was gonna be mine <laughs> yeah my first leica was an m3 with a 1.5 on it and i bought it in 1967 it was used with a brand new lights metrostar meter for $275. And I shot with that for, for years and years and years and got away from Leica when I started shooting things that required telephoto lenses. So I'd, I'd gone to the Nikon at that point. And about 1984, 85, I was a Leica dealer at that point. And, and Leica offered me a trip to go to Germany to spend a week at the factory, uh, the Leica school. And I didn't own a Leica and I wasn't going to take a Nikon. So I bought an M5, and uh, with it, I bought this lens, which is a 50 millimeter F2. It's called a Black Wetzlar. It's the version three, the first lens they made in black, black finish, aside from some of the esoterics. But uh, I took the M5, and I shot with that. And while I was at the factory, I bought this camera from them, and they engraved it with my name and, and uh, the fact that it was from the Leica School Wetzlar 1986. So th- awesome. this is the this is the, the one camera that I have that that uh, I will I will absolutely never sell. I mean, it's it's and I like that you have like your part of the provenance of that camera. And I think yeah. that's really neat. Yeah, that, that camera is an old friend of the family. And yeah. I, I've owned I've owned a lot of other M6s. Uh, a buddy of mine was putting together what he called titanium pandas. 
which were just like a M6 cameras that he put titanium tops and bases on uh, with a black film advance and a black rewind crank. And I owned a couple of those. I love shooting them because they, they had a little more heft than, uh, than the regular black M6s do. Aiden has an M6 titanium, which is also a, 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 a brass inside, a brass shell. And it's got the weight that uh, that I like. Yeah, it's, it's an awesome camera to use. I have only shot an M6 once ever, and it was this past fall. I went out east to visit some friends, and I was at a bar, and I was I met up with Johnny Martyr, who is a uh, film photographer who works with his wife. They shoot weddings, you know, other things too, but I think he does a lot of weddings. She shoots uh, pretty much all digital, and he shoots with Leicas. He shoots with a, a Leica 1 that's modified to have a rangefinder from 1930. Um, I, he's got maybe a 3F, I can't remember exactly, but he shoots his M6 a lot and he had it with him. And we were literally just sitting at a bar. I didn't even know what kind of film he had in. I just kind of snatched it away from him, held it up to my eye in a dark bar, no flash, you know, crappy lighting. And I fired off a couple shots with it. And I didn't even tell him I did it. And then later on, he he has a blog too. He posted some pictures. He developed the film and, and the shots that I did came out okay. So uh, it was just, you know, super intuitive. You know, I mean, I've shot like as before. I have an M3. So it wasn't a completely foreign experience, but they are definitely gem-like. I mean, I, I don't have one, but I, I do see the appeal that they have. You know, it's funny. Just as I was leaving work today, one of my baristas was, we were talking about the show. And he's like, you're, you're taking your M3, right? You're taking your M3. And I was like, you know, <laughs> Wilson does not care about the Leica. You know, I'm not trying to impress the beach ball. And I already had my mind, these other cameras I wanted to take. And he's like, if I was going, I'd take an M6. <laughs> so, you know, you bring up a point too. like, as we're winding down this, our, our list here, I'm actually kind of terrified at the comments the show's going to generate. What do you mean you didn't bring a Roly? What do you mean you didn't bring a insert camera brand here? <laughs> Nobody brought a Minolta. Nobody brought a Minolta, no Kanakas, no King Regulas. And I, I thwarted Theo and brought the only digital camera. So, uh, so wait, wait, wait. wait, no, Theo, didn't you say, wasn't there a fourth one? Uh, yeah, yeah. There's wait, a there's, a, there's, a, there's a fourth Uh-oh. camera. Uh-oh. <laughs> I might have spoiled the surprise. Okay. The, the skipper now, snuck one in. Picture this, you know, <laughs> we're on this deserted island. We're there for a long time. The clothes start to wear down. So we all start wearing animal skins and you know loincloths and all that, where there's very oh, yeah. little, very little pockets. So I planned ahead for that, and it does have a Leica lens, but it's uh, a little Lumix. <laughs> you know, honest to God, those Panasonic Lumixes are really nice. They made a lot of really good small compact point and shoot digitals. Yes, Which this one's one the. FX07. I, I went back and forth and thought of the a little bit more advanced ones and all that, but this one is so easy to use and it just produces great little results. I mean, it's JPEG only. Um, I've got it in black and white mode at the moment. So uh, I try and limit myself to, to whatever the results are going to look like. But they're so, I mean, if you look at how small this thing is, I mean, this thing just folds down to nothing. It can just fit it straight into any pocket, any loincloth. And it's not going to get in the way. I definitely will get in the way. No, I, that's a good choice. You know, we, we're going to have to get desperate somehow. And and uh, what do you got there? Oh, I see he's got a Lumix. It's my GF2. The GF2. Now, see, what was interesting was when they came out about that same time frame, you had Panasonic with the Lumixes with the Leica lenses. You had the Sonys with the Zeiss lenses. 
and you had the Samsungs with the Schneider lenses. Right. Yeah. So they were they were all marketing. the The, the outliers were the Pentaxes, which Pentax was never very strong on uh, the point shoot digitals. Canon used their own lenses, and Nikon used their own lenses. But the other companies had made licensing agreements with uh, with Schneider, Zeiss, and Leica to not provide the lenses themselves, but to provide certain parameters and design things that went into them. Uh, and what 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 was interesting, the first digital cameras that, that Leica actually sold were made by Fuji. There were three models uh, when they first came out that were actually Fuji cameras. And they had Leica name on the lenses, but I, I don't think they were Leica lenses. I think they were actually Fuji lenses. It was just badged Leica. Which is not too bad if you think about it. Fuji had some very strict tolerances on their lenses. Some of their lenses were, were just you know, fantastic if you... If you go back to that, interesting enough, we don't actually have any Fuji cameras on the island either. We'll bring some Fuji film. We'll make it up. We'll we'll, we'll get some Fuji. We'll get some Kodak Fuji 200. How about that? You know, speaking of that, I just developed some film the other day and I, I got some of that newer Fuji 200 that's made by Kodak. I noticed that the base was a little bit redder, closer to like what you typically see with Kodak film. So, I mean, not that I doubted it, but you can definitely tell by looking at the base that it's not the same as the old Fuji, but it developed fine. I got good images from it. All right. So we have completed our trip. If we stick too much to the plot, though, we're never going to come back. So (laughs) Uh, I wanted to spend what time we have left because we are coming up in an hour and a half. Uh, I want to hear a little bit more. Theo, you had that that massive haul we talked about in the last episode. Things were still kind of just showing up in your doorstep and you hadn't had a chance to even see some of the stuff that came. So I don't know that we have time to go through everything again, but would you want to talk about some of the surprises or, or thoughts that maybe you had about some of the models that were better than you hoped they would be? Maybe not quite so nice? Yeah, look, I mean, they, it was actually an interesting haul of cameras. And I must admit, I, I don't know how Paul does it getting such such a big haul in one go because it, it's it's it it can actually sort of startle you a little bit. But I've got everything now except the Rolly 35. The surprises are that most of them were in really good shape considering the age. They they do need some servicing, um, but nothing too serious, uh, apart, apart from maybe the, the Canon Demi, which which seems to have locked up. But the the actual surprises are is how much I actually really like the Super Contas. I, they came through and I thought, okay, they're folding cameras. I like folding cameras. They're nice. But they are actually fantastic to hold and, and, and to really just run through the motions with them. I haven't run any films through them yet because I, I want to get them serviced and make, just make sure they're all, uh, all CLA'd. But they are really, really nice. And that just sort of surprised me a little bit on how much I'd like those. The Pen FT was another one. I wasn't expecting to, to really enjoy that so, so much. Um, and I can see why Anthony's picked the Pen F to, to take with him on the, on the island. It, uh, it, it just makes sense. It's so small. The, the one thing that did surprise me on that one is the metering, where it uses that one to eight, I think, numbering system, which should correspond to the, the pen lenses. But my lenses don't actually have that numbering on it. So I have to do a little mental calculations when I do use it. And the other one that I really, really enjoyed and liked is the the Goldie. That's that was actually a bit of a surprise. That was a bit it's of a, a yeah, that was a that was just bought on as a as a bit of a whim. It's this one's in fantastic nick and it just 
just uh, looks like it's going to be so much fun to use. Now, you had posted about that, and I commented on how it focuses closer than it's it's indicated. Have have you messed with that at all? I have, and it does. I mean, it, it keeps going so past the last marker. So that's that's going to be a bit of fun trying that out. I'm not yeah. sure how much I can with that viewfinder to actually get it right, but uh, we'll, we'll see. Well, what we so can do. Adam Paul is a huge fan of that camera. He actually loaned me the one that I reviewed on my site, and he said his trick is. He'll hold the camera and like the, the inside of his elbow, like on his on his arm, and he'll stick his hand out and the fingertips. He'll touch whatever he wants to photograph. So he gets the camera ready, puts it inside of his elbow, extends his hand and then touches whatever he wants. And then he just moves his hand out of the way and fires the shutter. And that's how he's able to shoot that thing at minimum focus. Because, you is, know, sca- is he tall scale- or short though? Adam's pretty average. I'd say, I've met him once. I'd say, I don't know, maybe he'll correct me. I, I want to say he's 5'9", five, 5'10", five, maybe. Um, so if you're significantly taller or shorter than that, then maybe it doesn't work. But, you know, stop it down. Give yourself a little bit of wiggle room. But yeah, mm. scale focus at like one and a half feet is almost impossible. Yeah. But it's a fun experiment. The other surprise is the Vitessa L, the, the White Lunder. Absolutely love the camera, love the designs. I can see myself getting annoyed using it, though. The the controls are a little finicky. I, I'm not sure I like. I've got a dislike for cameras that lock your your shutter and aperture together in that EV mode. Um, so that that sort of threw yeah. me a little bit. I was surprised at how extra effort it took me to work out how to actually use that camera. I actually had to download the manual and just make sure um, I'm opening and closing it properly and all that kind of stuff. I was so worried I was going to break it. Yeah, you kind of got to pull the doors open to push it in and then it snaps shut. But it's, that lens looks superb. It's very, very good, yeah. Now, the Superbs, there were two of them, right? Oh, yes, there was two Superbs. Um, one of them was absolutely mint in my classification of mint not necessarily the ebay mint plus 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 type rating and and this one's ready to go ready to work it's 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 everything sounds absolutely perfect on it so um i'll be trying that out sooner rather than later um the second one needs a bit of work on it it's a little bit gummed up so it just needs a bit of work on it and because medically it's not as great as that one but um it's still a great looking camera and uh i'll be um, giving Jess a call and asking her to uh, do a bit of a CLA on it, get that up and running again. I'll share with the audience what I told Theo. I said, anytime, if you have a superb that you're going to do any level of work to spend the extra money to replace the mirror, the, the, the reflex mirror, even if it's not that bad, I would, I would definitely take that opportunity to do it. And the reason why specifically on that camera is like on a Roly or a Yashica TLR or any, any TLR that's based off of the Roly getting to the mirror is usually pretty easy. Usually there's a couple screws holding the hood on. You got to pop, you know, the ground glass off. And then usually the mirror is just right in there fairly easy to get to, but on the superb, the mirror is kind of buried in there and you have to sort of disassemble the whole top of the camera to even get to it. And I feel like if you're going to go that far, you might as well just replace the mirror too. And TLR mirrors are really, really inexpensive and easy to store. So, yeah. you know, it yeah. being a, an obscure camera, getting a replacement mirror shouldn't be more than a couple dollars. And if you're already going into it, might as well put a new mirror into it. But from exactly. what it sounds like, it, it sounds like these are this one's savable too. So that's good to hear. Oh, very much so. And it, even without replacing the mirror, it's actually quite, quite viewable. Um, it, it's quite clear. It just just needs a little bit of work done to on on the grease to unlock it. Apart from that, it's uh, it's a perfectly usable camera. Now you weren't too impressed with the Futura, right? Yeah, it's it's weird. I, I I tried to sort of use that, and I found that 
when I set it to a particular area, I can't get across the focus. So if I use particular apertures, the actual, the knobs that actually um, run those rings actually run into each other. And I think you, you had something similar. Yeah. Well, it's very illogical. Yeah. I made the comment in my review that it feels like the designer of that camera just put things where they had room yeah. rather than where they made sense. There just were a lot of oddities to the controls that I just didn't care for. Yeah. So, so that was a little bit, and then I'll compare it to the Lauder mats that came in that, in that package. It's like chalk and cheese. The Lauder mats are really nicely put together. They, they, they do feel nice. You were right in predicting that Mike. Um, I really enjoy holding those and they're ready to go. And you know, they've got a name Lauder mat, which sounds like it's from Dr. Who. So back to Anthony's yeah, TARDIS it's reference. A, could be a TARDIS <laughs> reference. What's cool about the Lauder mats is they're, they were made in Vetslar, which is where Lights was. And a lot of people who worked for Lightoff is the name of the company. A lot of people who worked for Lightoff used to work for, for uh, Lights. In fact, I did a whole story recently on the C35, how the guy who ran, uh, who created Lightoff had a young daughter who dated a guy who was like a top engineering student working at lights. And he somehow convinced them through promises of whatever <laughs> to get him to work for leave lights and work for light off. And this guy, you know, a promising engineer is kind of who helped design that camera. And while there's very little apart from it, using the same kind of film and being a camera, there's almost nothing similar between the Leica and the Lordo mats, but uh, it's a really nicely built camera. It feels great in the hands. Um, if I had one complaint, I wish the shutter went faster than one 300 because that is the top speed, I think, on all of them. But beyond yeah. that, though, I mean, it's a really, really nice camera and it's got interchangeable lenses. Um, I've got the wide angle and the 52.8 and the 51.9. And I, I just like shooting all of them. Yeah, it's, it's really nice. And, and actually just circling back to uh, the Super Condors, um, also just rem just remembered... Anthony and I spent a fair bit of time, I think it was on Saturday, trying to figure out how these things fire and how you cock the shutter on this one. Interesting enough, these ones came with the Clio shutter mechanism, which is Zeiss's rebranding of the Pronto shutter. So that was a, a bit of a surprise that popped up and uh, I sat there for ages trying to figure out, okay, which one's the, the self-timer of death and which one's the, <laughs> the, um, the cocking of the shutter lever. And it looks like there's two, two levers for for the self-timer and um, they they self-cock. So that was a nice little surprise as well. All right. Well, it sounds like a nice haul. I know it's going to be hard. You mentioned earlier, it must be hard for Paul, like when he gets these huge lots. Uh, at least Paul seems to not have a problem selling things. But I imagine for you, it, it might be hard to let some of these go. It is. It is. That's. It's not. Um, I was mentioning to Anthony the other day, if, he's in, if he is interested in this um, superb or, or I, I then sell it on, if, he, if he's not... Um, it'll be the first camera I've actually ever sold. So it's, uh, wow. it's a new territory. He, he is. He is. He is. <laughs> Brilliant. We'll make sure it gets done up really nicely for you, mate. So, Mike, are you still coming over next Saturday? Is that to the other side of the island? <laughs> this side of the island. Yeah, we'll talk about that later. That's still the plan, though. Yes. Okay. What we should do is maybe we'll do a live remote. Okay. We could do that. I'm going to go visit Paul and we will figure out uh, a fun way to uh, share some experiences. I've got a question about a Catawiki auction I'm following. There is a Bessa rangefinder with a scope R. So it's the predecessor to the Bessa 2. You know, I've talked to a lot of people who say it's actually a better camera than the Bessa 2, but it's got the scope R instead of the Heli R, but it's got a functioning rangefinder. This one is unique because you get to the very last photo and you realize 
that it has the 645 mask in it, which is probably worth more than the camera is. And right now the current bid is $180 and it, it finishes up tomorrow. And the estimate is going to be around $225 to $250. Okay, this has a rangefinder or is this the... Yes, it's a rangefinder. Paul, have you ever seen one of these? Yeah, I've had a, I've had a couple of them. I, I always get confused though, because there are so many different models that, you know, I, I just can't keep track. I think I've got a 66 in the basement right now, but that's a, that's not a rangefinder. That's just a viewfinder model. They did the Bessa, which I have a Bessa. I actually have a Bessa with the 645 mask, which came out in the 1930s. That was sort of like a Iconta, not a super Iconta, but like an Iconta. And that it had like the pop-up viewfinder, but no rangefinder. Six by nine, six, four, five. And then they did the 66, which was the small one, the Klein one, which is the, the, you know, the small folding one, the six by six. And then they came up with the Bessa rangefinder, which is what this one is, which has a, like a black top plate with the very wide based uh, rangefinder in it. And then there's the war. And then they introduced the Bessa one, which was I've like 1949. And that was going back to the style of the first one where it had no rangefinder, just had a viewfinder. Uh, and then they introduced the Bessa two, which is the rangefinder version where they did it with a Scopar, a Heliar, and then the Apolanthar, which those are going for like $7,000 now. Right. The Apolanthars are real expensive. They're insane. And the Heliars are now pushing like $900 and the Scopars are pushing uh, $500. But like when you, if you go online and read what Jurgen says, he much prefers the uh, pre-war rangefinder version to the post-war best of two. I have to imagine that is in build quality if Jurgen's the one telling you that. Yeah. But I mean, if the question is, it only has a Scopar. I mean, to me, that's not really much of a con. Yeah. Uh, I've admitted to you that I can't tell the difference between an Ultron and a Septon. Right. The Scopars are four elements. So you're, you're basically a, at a Tessar quality level, right. but it is a six by nine camera though too. So you're more likely to see vignetting or some softness in the corners on a Tessar style lens. So, right. I mean, if the price is right, it's a footlander. Get it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if, if, if it stays below 200, I think I'm going to. I mean, it's a rangefinder because you, you don't see too many six by nines with good rangefinders. Right. And it's got a good lens. There's the Telka, the Super Iconta, and then the Besta 2 are really the three. And you said this one does have the mask? It does have the mask. Yeah. I mean, right mm. there. I mean, most most of those cameras to, to have the mask is pretty special because it's almost but always lost. Like I said, the mask is probably worth more than the camera is. Yeah, I'm doing a review of a Franca Rolfix, which is, a, you know, it's it does six by six and six by nine, and I don't have the mask. So, yeah. you know, I mean, I, I talk about it existing, but not being able to use it. So Aiden, anything uh, you want to ask? Do you have any questions? We don't have any other guests, so we're going to kind of come back to you. Um, I don't have any questions. I have a lot of gas from listening to you guys, but... um. <laughs> I can't, I can't spend any more money right now. I just picked up the Leica M6 and then got a Simicron from Paul, dual range. I, uh, I got, the enabler got to me, I guess. <laughs> you know, one thing I'll say about you, Aiden, is, you know, there's that saying, go big or go home. You're definitely yeah. not going home. <laughs> no, not yet. <laughs> you definitely aim high, that's for sure. Nothing wrong with that, though. Yeah, and I've got, I just picked up this for a friend the other day. There you go. From an estate sale, but oh, I haven't got it yet. What is that, Paul? It's a two by three. Two and a quarter by three and a quarter. Yeah, it's pretty small, but uh, I'm excited to. For the listeners, that's a Graflex? Yeah, it's a speed graphic. Speed graphic. Yeah. 
Very nice. But, um, what, len- what lens is on there? It's a Kodak XR. 4.7 millimeter. So 127, that's that's pretty long then. For yeah, that, that could camera, be a right? three by four. That could be a three by four. I yesterday I got a three by four that had the 120 127 Optar. Can you still get three by four film? Uh I don't think so. I think we talked about this in a previous episode. There's like one company in China making it or something, isn't there? Didn't that come up on one? I remember that. Yeah. I don't remember who it is, but I think you're right. Well, and then you could probably special order from Ilford. Don't they still do that where once a year, once a year. Yeah. So maybe that might be an option too. If, but I mean, you have to spend a lot of money to do that too. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not too worried about it. I also have an Omega Toyo view or a Toyo four by five that I picked up the other day as well. Uh, But I haven't shot that yet. Well, guys, this was fun. We've used up a, a pretty typical length of time. I got to tell you, this is going to be an easier episode to edit with so few people on here. Not that I'm complaining by any means. I could I could use an easy uh, episode here and there, but this was a lot of fun. We don't have anything planned for our next episode. Things should be stabilizing in terms of the times where we're recording these. For the next couple ones, I'm I'm gonna go with you know today's the 29th. We're recording one day earlier because of the U.S. Uh, Memorial Day holiday, but that puts our next episode at Monday the 13th, um, and then the next one after that Monday June 27th. So mark your calendars. Uh, we're gonna try and bring some special guests, and if we don't have any special guests, we certainly have a lot of ideas and things to talk about. We want to do an episode, uh, which we're kind of calling the camera store episode, where we're going to try and get as many people from current, you know, and former camera store employees to kind of share their experiences and maybe some cool stories of, you know, what it's like to sell film in in the 21st century. That's what we're working on. Um, I look forward to everybody's comments. Thank you guys all for all the engagement on the Facebook group. Uh, I said Instagram, we're was didn't I read that our followers on Instagram are about to surpass our Facebook? Is that it's, right? Uh, we're, we're we're catching up. Uh, the we're catching Instagram up. is is adding new uh, followers more quickly than the uh, Facebook Facebook group is. And we tried Twitter, but we all discovered none of us know how to use Twitter effectively. So yes, that's a massive failure. <laughs> <laughs> and and not, no, I don't blame you, Theo. I I wouldn't know how to do with it either, other than like tweeting you know, like, Hey, we have an episode, but I don't, I don't know how to engage people on Twitter. So maybe we'll just stick with Facebook and Instagram. Should we do LinkedIn? Like <laughs> Let's do uh, what's the, what's the one where you swipe left. Can we like, can camerosity go on that too? Tinder? Tinder. TikTok. We'll go TikTok. I'm a Tinder. TikTok. You know, honestly, I mean, we could do TikTok videos of like cameras that we talk about, but I just don't know how, how, like, I see some of the cool things people do on that with stop motion and face switches and stuff. So I don't know, maybe, maybe we'll hire somebody to do that for us. We'll open up the ad revenue budget. You guys, this was fun. Uh, look forward to next episode and uh, thanks for coming in on Aiden. Always good to see return listeners. No, thank you for having me. All right. You have a good night. Hey, you too. Take care. Bye, my, my issue today was they, they looked like they, they, shifted the flight path for Sydney airport over the top of my house just about so I'm not I sure heard if that came a, I heard what sounded like an airplane a couple yeah. times. So if we're on this island we should stop talking about cameras and maybe try and flag down one of these airplanes <laughs> and get us off it. <laughs>